Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. In this episode of The Dad Project, Martin Bowles talks about building a sense of respect in children. Martin is an attorney and educator from the Los Angeles area. He and his wife have nine children and two grandchildren. The virtue of respect begins with obedience, or to look at the flip side of it, whether there is overt disobedience by our children. But it goes beyond that. If Getting obedience is difficult enough, but we also want to stop and think and look closely at whether there are more marginal kind of behaviors that our children are are doing when we give them a command or tell them not to do something, like talking back, rolling their eyes, slamming doors, or just surly silence. Because these kind of behaviors, if are not, if they're not corrected, if they become habits, then that's the kind of, quote, obedience our children are going to give to their teachers, to their coaches, eventually their bosses. And while that kind of behavior, even if it's short of overt disobedience, even if they get the job done, the response to that is going to be, I don't want to work with this person. I'm not going to give more responsibility. I'm not going to give promotions to this kind of person. It's not the kind of person people want to work with or or, or even trust. And why is that? It's because eye-rolling, talking back shows that even if they're doing what we demand, children are not getting why it's important, why we want them to do that. They're not buying into it. They're not internalizing the belief or the kind of attitude that we are trying to foster in them, whether it's to be diligent in doing a job or seeing certain things as harmful to them. And so we want to, it's hard enough just to get children to to obey, but we want in this talk and as dads to also be to be prompt in stopping children from doing these kind of marginal behaviors. But also we'll, let's look at what can we do to get children to buy into more, accept more, and eventually absorb and follow the kind of beliefs we have about what's good and bad and why they should do things. Developing the virtue of respect in children or rooting out disrespect actually is pretty simple in terms of describing what we need to do as parents, but it's very difficult to do as dads who are in the process of raising children or have raised children will know or remember. It's also made more difficult now in these contemporary times because the media or entertainment tends to glamorize or, or get laughs out of, and maybe they always have, out of disrespectful children. The show portrays a lot of kids rolling their eyes at parents, and, and, and we, get, we always get laughs out of dads or moms who are portrayed as being tricked by their parents or struggling 
to get uh, control or even know what their kids are doing. But the other thing, too, is that many of our peers now are are timid about exercising authority or even downplay discipline and to to think that we have to give children a lot of freedom to do things. And so commanding authority from children has probably never been easy. Children often don't like what we're demanding of them or want what they're forbidding them to have. And we don't like hearing our children cry and we want them to be happy. And it's made even harder these days in this era, I think, because fewer and fewer parents are assertive in demanding respect and may even think we're being too harsh in commanding obedience. So it's important to remember that we are seeking the long-term happiness of our children. And the paradox is that in being quote-unquote tough now, we are ensuring their future happiness, or at least giving them the best chance at future happiness. And and frankly, without this kind of insistent and persistent demand for respect, they will almost surely not be happy in the long run. The great parenting author James Stenson likes to say that successful parents, and by that he means parents who raise children of who grow into young adults of character. Successful parents see their children as adults in the making. In other words, they're, they, we as dads are looking ahead to what are these children going to be as adults and, and what we want them to be is happy. And so if that means that we have to be insistent and, and quote unquote tough on some of these things when in terms of commanding respect and fostering other virtues, so be it. It's like the pain of an inoculation or a surgery that that leads in the long run to better health and comfort. Now, the fact that obedience happens in our children is probably inevitable. If you see or have your children act disobediently, that in and of itself is not, doesn't mean you're a failure. That's just the beginning of our job as parents. I just had my daughter and son-in-law and a couple of grandsons with us at Christmas time. And my older grandson, who's two going on three, closer to three than two, was challenging my authority. I'd, I'd tell him to do, not to do something like pull out the plug for the Christmas tree or play with something that was not going to be safe or that could be broken. And you could see he wouldn't immediately walk in the other direction or put something down. He'd kind of look at me out of the corner of his eye. So children are going to test our resolve and explore disobedience from the earliest of ages. That's not the problem. The problem is how do we as adults react? So here is what I regard as the seven steps or seven behaviors of dads and moms in terms required to foster respect. I think it's actually, these are pretty simple prescriptions and have been used for, for, for generations and generations. So there's nothing new here. The difficult part is our resolve in applying them and our wisdom in accepting them. First is we just command obedience. We don't ask for it. We don't beg for it. We command it. And number two, 
zero tolerance toward disobedience. And that's not just the bottom line of whether or not they do what we say or don't forbear from doing what we say they shouldn't do. It means, and this is number three, that they do it immediately. They obey immediately. And number four, that they obey respectfully. And this is where we get into the applying the zero tolerance to these more marginal things like giving us a dirty look or talking back or other gestures of disrespect. And this entails also that there has to be consequences, not just for overt disobedience, but consequences for these more marginal behaviors. If they if they whine or if they throw a tantrum when we say no, then they do not get ever, at least in this chapter of, of our life with them, the thing that, that they wanted or they don't get the toy back. It doesn't mean we, we have to yell or be harsh. Indeed, we can be quite calm about this. The more comfortable we are that we have this authority and that it's essential for us to do this for their long-term happiness, the more comfortable we'll be with it. We could, so we can be calm, but we have to be insistent. Number six, I think we're on number six now, is keep adding to the list of things that we demand that they do. Over time, they should get more and more responsibilities or duties or things we insist on from uh, picking up their rooms to brushing their teeth. Obviously, this is age-dependent, but also the pleasures that they defer, that maybe when they're a screaming two-year-old, if they really, really want to have the Cheerios when you want them to eat the spinach, well, maybe you give them the Cheerios. But over time, we add to the list of pleasures that they have to defer. And these then instill in them the habits of self-control, the wisdom that to do the right thing and to achieve something better means that you have to defer a pleasure. And of course, that becomes essential for success in school when they'd rather play a video game or just play and you see that they need to study or deferring of sexual pleasure till the proper state of marriage and and so forth. If we do these things, it actually doesn't take long. I would say that the two weeks I spent with my my grandsons, they, they got it that you mean what you say. They then have respect for your authority, just like my grandsons have respect for their mom and dad's authority. But then point seven is don't let up because respect is a virtue and a virtue means a habit of doing the right thing. So they have to be practicing respect continually. And like all of us, we all have the tendency to slip down the slope of of less virtue and more vice and being easier on ourselves. So we have, to, we have to keep insisting on respect so that they practice it continually over time. In the long run, this is going to show up in their respect for teachers, their respect for police. In other words, it's going to lead them to be successful, to stay out of trouble, and to be happy. And that's what we want for them. Because of that, if we, if we keep in mind that we're doing this for their long-term happiness, then we won't have what some parents tend to, I think, develop, which is an insecurity over whether we're doing this for the right reasons. Is this just my parental ego trip that I want to have 
a neat house or that I just want to have my authority obeyed. No, it's not for that. We're doing this for their long-term happiness and because we know they can only be happy in the long run if they are respectful. So that should give us what James Stenson calls and what you've heard earlier in these podcasts, confident parent leadership, that we have rightful authority to command obedience from our children, to demand respect for them, and knowing that it's good for them, so we should be confident in doing it. Indeed, a frequent cause of disrespect in children is when they sense a parent's lack of respect in their authority. And so it's a, it, becomes a, it becomes almost a, uh, a downward spiral or it can be an upward spiral. That if we exercise authority confidently, and by the way, that doesn't mean necessarily that inside we're feeling like we're brimming with confidence, but rather that we that when we exercise authority, we're, we're at least intellectually or mentally confident that we have that authority and, and act with resolve. And then our sense of confidence will follow the act and our children's sense of confidence in our authority will follow our act. I'd like to quote uh, James Stenson in his great book on fathering called Father, the Family Protector. He says, great parents have no doubts about their rightful authority. Successful parents are conscious and confident of their authority. As a result, their children, over time, grow to have confidence in their parents' self-confidence. Sometimes we might think, and sometimes you hear people talk about how, well, I want to be friends with my children. The best response to that, I think, comes from my sister-in-law, who said that in raising her three young boys, she wasn't going to try to be their friend. Her goal was to raise good future citizens, not try and in the short run to be their friends. And what she expected and what in fact turned out to be the case is that those young men as adults became great friends of their mother because of that. Exercising confident parent leadership and demanding respect and obedience doesn't mean we have to be militaristic or that our homes have to be monastic. In fact, it's not inconsistent with demanding respect for our authority, demanding obedience to our commands, that we also have a lot of fun with our kids and do things that are silly with our kids. And as dads, especially, have a lot of rowdy roughhousing with them. I think, in fact, that trying to have bright and cheerful homes makes our authority then even more respected by children because they they see it as part of a picture overall that's fun and healthy. So I, I think we ought to we ought to be equally conscious of whether we're being attentive and cheerful and diligent even in in making sure that our, our homes are have a lot of fun and that we're that we're a part of that and leading in that because that that'll help to foster a respectful home is probably the only way to foster a respectful home. And also demanding respect and raising children who are respectful is not inconsistent with respecting their freedom. Our children have to have, especially as they get into adolescence and the teenage years, 
they have to have appropriate levels of freedom in order to explore different interests and grow in wisdom and grow in their self-confidence. But it's precisely children who respect authority who can safely handle gradual increases in their freedom. As my son's fiance says about her upbringing, when I was a teenager, my parents never set a curfew because they knew I would never stay out late. If we want to foster the virtue of respect in our children, we also have to work on ourselves being respectable. And I want to talk about three aspects of that. One is being just, being just in our demands, being just in how we treat children. That doesn't mean we don't sometimes make mistakes in demanding too much. That will happen. And we don't want to lose our self-confidence as parents and confidence in exercising our rightful authority out of fear of making a mistake. But in ourselves living the virtue of justice, if we see that a demand we've made, a chore we've assigned is too tough for them, or a deadline we set is, is, is unreasonable, then we should have the humility to change it. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be afraid of, of changing when we see that we've made an unjust demand. In fact, that won't undermine our authority. It'll only enhance their respect for our authority. And if sometimes in meeting out discipline or responding to disobedience, we get, we lose our cool, we get too harsh, that'll probably happen sometimes, then we apologize if, if, we, if we wrongfully hurt them with, in, in our exercise of discipline. And again, that only enhances their respect for us. The other thing that we want to do in growing to be more respectable is growing in our own virtues. Just generally speaking, we should try to be good role models for our children. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Of course, we won't be. And not only will we not be perfect, we are not perfect. But our children, as one uh, author of a wonderful little pamphlet about parenting said, our children are very discerning and even unerring observers of our defects. They'll know what our vices are. And we will have vices. The key thing is that they see that we're honest about that, that we're objective in examining ourselves and recognizing our own defects, and that we're working to overcome them, that we have a sporting and persevering life project of growing in our own virtue. If they see that in us, it it almost doesn't matter the vices that we may have in kind of grown up with, they'll tend to overcome those because they see that we are working to overcome them. And in particular, let's talk about how we ourselves need to model the virtue of respect for rightful authority. We may be people who badmouth uh, people who have rightful authority over us. We We should make sure that we are not complaining or ridiculing our bosses in front of our children, or if they come home with some with some complaint about how they were treated at school by a teacher or maybe given some discipline, that we don't just jump 
in and take their side and and start complaining about the teacher and worse yet go to school and demand that 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 be reversed what james stenson notes that one of the most important things parents can do is support the discipline that schools give to their children that we tend as parents to um naturally to get defensive about our children to to want to defend them that's that's kind of the primal instinct of of all animals and and to an extent that is good but we have to realize that at least in in most cases authorities at school teachers administrators can see things about our children more objectively than we do and so we want to be very hesitant to undermine the corrections they give and we should in fact be grateful and take careful account of what they're saying in terms of where our children may be misbehaving and on all all children misbehave at some point in their in their school careers and we should be be grateful for that and use that as a as an objective extra set of eyes and and an extra set of judgment just to give one example one of our favorite teachers at our school who we got to know pretty well, told a story about when he was a student. And around the age of seven, he came home and at the dinner table one night was complaining about how his teacher was uh, a poor teacher, didn't wasn't respected by the students, had uh, political attitudes that were expressed in class and were repugnant to the family values. And the dad of that future teacher of ours, stopped his seven-year-old son and said, we're not going to have that kind of talk at the table. So he's setting a role model of the, of not disrespecting someone who is in authority. Now, and in fact, our friend told us that he later learned that his dad also shared the criticism of that teacher. But the point was he wasn't going to tolerate disrespect at the dinner table. He was modeling respect for authority. And that dad may well have and would have been within his proper rights as a parent to, he may well have gone to that teacher in private and and asked about what was going on in the classroom. In fact, that's something we can ask ourselves more generally in terms of people in authority or just with people generally. Do we, if we have critical thoughts about someone or observe something that's objectively criticizable about someone, do we go to that person and have the guts and even the courage, and you might even say the love, to go to that person face-to-face, in private, and have a respectful conversation about it? Wouldn't this world be a better place if that's if we did that with each other instead of the kind of things we see now, especially in social media, where people feel free to splash the most hateful and often unfounded criticisms of others. And lastly, how are we modeling respect for authority to our children in the way we treat our wives? It's natural that over the course of a marriage, we get to know our spouse better, they get to know us better, and since everybody has defects, we we gradually become more aware of and maybe feel more chafed about the inevitable defects that any person has. But what we want to examine in ourselves is whether we give vent to our criticisms in front of our children. Our, our, and it can begin to slip out 
in what what passes as humor, as sarcasm. Instead, what our children should see is nothing but the utmost of respect that we give toward our wives, complimenting them and supporting their discipline decisions, never questioning them or undermining them in front of the children. Any disagreements we have should be discussed in private. And frankly, uh, for those of us dads who work outside the home and who have wives working at home with the children all day long, we should probably be very deferential to the the judgment and the difficulties that our wives are facing that, that we may not face and, and uh, have only the luxury of second-guessing when we come home fresh to the domestic scene. Lastly, in addition to the longer-term success and happiness that our children will have if they develop the virtue of respect in terms of what teachers think of them and and what coaches think of them and what bosses think of them and that sort of thing. There is also, in an almost mysterious way, a, a growth in their own ability to respect themselves if they learn to respect others. I think it's partly because of what James Stenson talked about, that they they become confident in their parents' authority if their parents exercise that authority and insist upon it in a confident way. But then they become confident not just in their parents' authority, but again, if we practice justice in our demands and respect for our spouses and have their long-term happiness in view as we exercise authority and, and demand respect, then they'll come to see the wisdom and goodness of what we're demanding of them. They'll internalize that. And they then become confident, more confident in acting in the ways we've tried to lead them to do. And not just in obedience, but in matters of self-control, hard work, being honest, being kind to other people, and in the self-controlling behaviors about uh, alcohol, drugs, and sex. John Rosemond calls this circling back. He talks about how when children first learn respect for their parents, then eventually that, that extends outward to respecting other authority figures, but then it extends to respecting other people and respecting other people regardless of whether they're the coolest or the richest. They're respecting people regardless of their background or their station in life. But then he also, he goes far, farther and he calls it a social circuit, that the respect comes back to self-respect. And then they become adolescents who are have the maturity in the sense of self-respect to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try that. I don't need that to uh, to respect myself. And so they can avoid self-destructive behaviors. Again, it all comes back to believing in ourselves because we are trying to improve ourselves and grow in our own virtue and having confidence that we have the authority and indeed we must exercise that authority to insist on respect and obedience in our children for their own happiness in the long run. And as someone who's been a parent now for almost 30 years, I've seen uh, that that really does that really does result. I'll just end with with a sto- story about uh, my wife's exercise of authority over our oldest, who 
was about two years old when this when this happened, and we just not long before brought home her the first of her eventual nine or eight siblings, and uh, her younger brother, uh, relatively newborn younger brother, was in a bouncy seat, and so my wife Julia was taking a video of of John in the bouncing seat, and Ginny was. Uh, wanted to be in the video because she was probably feeling a little bit left out as all the attention was being, she thought, given to her younger brother. And then she started sort of poking her uh, her younger brother uh, in the bouncy seat. And, and Julia said, sweetie, don't do that. And the uh, video goes on and then Ginny does it again. And Julia said, honey, don't do that. And of course, Ginny does it again. And then Julia says, Ginny, I told you no. And uh pokes again, the video stops. And then the video comes back on again after a, an obvious uh, click to stop the video. The, the video resumes. The baby's still in the bouncy seat, but Ginny's gone and you hear a whimpering and sniffling and sobbing in the background. And then after a few seconds, Ginny comes back into the picture and um, there's still some tears on her cheeks, but she's not poking her brother anymore. The point being that my wife insisted on obedience, and she got obedience from a two-year-old daughter. By the way, that two-year-old daughter now is uh, a 29-year-old teacher and a dean of discipline at a school, ironically, but she's also very happy, and she's loved by her students. So it all worked out well, as it will for all of us, when we exercise confident parent leadership and insist and foster the virtue of respect. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.